Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast in partnership with Lexus. Subscribe now to catch new episodes dropping weekly to your favorite podcast app. Okay, this I accept is probably on the edge of creepy. Okay, decidedly creepy. But the reality is that you never know who is watching you. I was a regular at a restaurant in Village View. It was Nino's restaurant. She was a franchisee. And I watched her in the Nino's days, how she performed on the floor, her attention to detail, the passion, the energy. And I then saw her busy dismantling this Nino's coffee brand. And I asked her, what are you doing at Tash? And then I'm creating something of my own. Yeah, it's called Tash's. So I look forward to seeing it. And I mean, when she eventually unveiled it, it was just it was spectacular. So I used to still go there every Sunday morning and I would just watch this girl in action. I mean, she's, um, I knew this woman was just a different class. She's a real genius when it comes to the restaurant space. That's Kevin Hedwick, former chief executive of Africa's biggest quick-service restaurant group, Famous Brands. He oversaw its 2,500% growth in value in his 15 years at the helm. Famous Brands would invest in Natasha Sideris' startup, Tasha's, in its early days and recently allowed her to buy back its stake as she enters challenging new markets. At the time, Kevin Hedewick was watching Natasha operate first at Nino's and then create her own concept. She wasn't thinking investment. She was simply doing what she did to the best of her ability. And that's an important lesson. Whether it's in your day job or in a business that you're building, every decision that you make, every step that you take, someone, somewhere, is paying attention. They could be the person who takes you to the next level, a future partner or a funder, even a rival. In a world where fortune favours those who pay attention to opportunity, everything you do matters. Today, the remarkable story about the psychology student who, having grown up and taking cash at her dad's fish restaurant, bought a franchise to learn the ropes of running her own outfit and then decided to open her own business as a side hustle while she furthered her studies. Let's get into that story. First, it's going to require some international travel. Let's go to Dubai. A 20-minute taxi ride from the sprawling airport complex in Dubai is the International Finance Center. As the name suggests, it's a hub for finance and commerce and is home to some of the world's largest multinational corporations, financial institutions and law firms. It also has a range of the world's biggest brands. They have shops there, cafes and restaurants, lots of fabulous places to eat. It's a ferociously competitive market for restaurateurs. It has high disposable income, a culture of generosity and large-scale entertainment budgets. Natasha Sideris took the Tasha's concept to Dubai a decade ago. She and a team of staff went with it, well aware of the fact that the region chews up and spits out restaurant concepts all the time. And some seriously big names in the world of food have tried and failed. 
It's not the same, but American sports bar chain Hooters shut down in 2017 after three years. California Pizza Kitchen shut down as a result of COVID-19, and even luminaries such as Marco Pierre White and Jamie Oliver have capitulated rather than burn through buckets of cash in a tough environment. Gordon Ramsay, on the other hand, has had more success in Dubai and operates several concepts. But enough about them. As you will hear from Natasha Sidiris, she started the first Tashas in Johannesburg as a bit of a project while she was advancing those psychology studies. But it took on a life of its own, and by the time she and her brother Sava, who does all of the interiors of the stores, got to three outlets, they needed capital. And that's where Kevin Hedwick came in. So why fly to Dubai to see her? Well, it's been her home for much of the past decade. The late April temperatures are warm. There's a warning that humidity is about to become really, really high. It's uncomfortable, but tolerable until you go inside the cave-like Arabian night splendor of Avli by Tasha's, where it's deliciously cool and comfortable. The space is long and narrow. The kitchen to the side is preparing for the Friday lunch rush. And in the corner, there's a photographer snapping pictures of new menu items for social media posts. At the far end is a 12-foot arched window framing one of the world's tallest buildings, the Burj Khalifa, in the distance. I had always wanted to expand, and we had been approached by a lot of people in different countries, Australia, the States, the Middle East, and the UK. So when I looked at all of the places, Dubai was certainly the most logical for a number of reasons. Well, if you think about the UK, the hectic barriers to entry for your first foray into an international market, labor costs are very high, rentals are very high, not an easy market to enter and highly competitive. Australia is on the other end of the world, different time zones, and I'm a control freak, so no ways that I'm going to be able to be phoning my staff and then just easily jumping on a plane. And then, of course, the States, vast, same time difference issues. It wasn't the intention to move to Dubai. The intention was to open one and see how it went. Dubai in many ways, is very similar to South Africa. So we are a mall culture in South Africa. We are a driving culture in South Africa. It's exactly the same here. Mall culture, driving culture. The local population is very similar to the Greeks. Warm, hospitable. There's just this sense of warmth. So I immediately fell in love with Dubai. It's been really a second home to me. I feel very well loved, respected. It was also the next logical step to take our brands to the next level. I think South Africa works at a lot slower place because we're not exposed to this, you know, this global growth and freneticism. Yeah. So when you do something in SA, it's great and it stays great for quite a while. In Dubai, you have to be on your toes 24-7. There's competitors all the time. So it's a great place to sharpen your skills. A couple of people I've spoken to yeah. who don't know you, yeah. but admire you. Yeah, they you. know your products. They know what you're up to yeah. and talk about you sort of hushed tones of reverence because you've come into this market yeah. and you've come in with multiple concepts, Correct. which, again, I need to understand sure. because you start out with one concept with, yeah. with variety and variations and, and stuff, but it's one concept. Correct. You've got five concepts, six and another coming, two on the go. seven coming. Yeah. Why this multi-pronged? Um, I think at the heart of it is because I'm a creative and I love coming up with new ideas. Tasha's will always be the heart of the group, the mother brand, and will be the brand that we have the most multiple restaurants of. It's got the most legs. It's all-day dining, quite easy to roll out. So Tasha's will always be it. I wanted to prove to myself, 
and I suppose to the markets that we could do more upscale restaurants like the one you're sitting in now mm. uh, and Flamingo Room, of course, at the Al Nassim, which is also more upscale. And then I thought, why not dabble in a bar? And we had a storage area at the back here and converted it into the Galaxy Bar. And as we started to realize that we could adapt, and because I've got really an amazing team around me that understands the creative vision and then goes and, and really executes, we thought, why not come up with a couple of other brands in sectors that we haven't tried our luck in? So one of those is fast casual. So we're going to do a fast food, a luxury fast food called Nala. And hopefully that'll have two or 300 stores around the globe because they have very small okay, footprints. This is important. Yeah. I, I don't know where we're going to go with this conversation. Yeah. I'm a little bit afraid of it because I look at Tash's and Tash's has got a, sort of a maxing out potential. Uh, yes, because, certainly in South Africa yeah. it has a maxing out potential. Dubai, we have six Tash's. We're opening uh, another four. So that's 10. But if you look at the Middle East, I reckon we could get you. And I'm now talking, when I talk Middle East, I'm talking Saudi Arabia. With Saudi, we could probably get you 30 40 tashes, so it's quite big. And then okay. we're getting, going into London, and we reckon we could open at least 30 or 40 tashes in the UK. There. I want to get there in a yeah. Pause there. Just keep up with me. No, sure. Let me keep up with you. So you're going to get 30 or 40 tashes within this region, within the United Arab yeah. Emirates. You've then got the other concept. So Ugly, which we're sitting in right now, which feels like a cavern. Yes. Um, it's a wonderful Arabian night sort of feel yeah. to it. It's got beautiful marble tiled floors, uh, beautiful views out towards the Burj, the Burj which is spectacular, yeah. centerpiece of, 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 of your outlook. How many of these do you want? Uh, one one in every city that counts. So one in London, one in Miami, one in LA. But Ray Kroc yeah. starts McDonald's. Yeah. goes... You know, if it's a hamburger, yeah. you can you can create that, and it's easy. Correct, and create thousands of stores around the world. No, Nando's took chicken and said, base it with this sauce. You can either have it lemon and herb, mild, mild uh, or, or super hot, or extra hot, or even hotter, which Robbie Brosen likes, and that's hard enough. I know. Why but do you make it so blooming difficult? I suppose it comes down to creativity, and that's really what it's about. Because it's not only about the money. So it would be easy to take Tasha's, standardize it even more, take away the signature menus, have one classic menu, standardize the interiors, and just roll them out. Easy, you say. Easy. But that's not really what feeds my soul. So if it was just money that I was after, you're absolutely right. Go for it. Money only. Punch them out. Same look, same interior, same food, and let's just roll. And you'd be incredibly successful. And you'd become a uh, global... Very rich. And very rich. I know, but maybe I wouldn't be so excited about my job every day. But that's the point. Yeah. So what, what excites me about my work is creating, innovating on food, creating these beautiful spaces because, you know, as you mentioned, my brother is very much involved in the back of house design and obviously he's an interior designer, gives some, some input on the front of house. I'm very much involved in the interiors, so that feeds my soul. I love spaces. I love beautiful spaces. Food, if I was cooking the same food every day, I'd be very bored. So here we get to do all our Greek cuisine. Flamingo Room, we've got old school classics, nostalgic food. Nala's going to have fast food with a luxury twist. We're doing a restaurant on the beach. So we're very seafood focused. I think if I got to a point where I got tired of developing all these different brands, then I suppose your route is, is better. But would kill me. And this is also becomes a very useful, I suppose, global testing ground because Dubai being at the epicenter of the globe and becoming this very yes. central hub once again, Hopefully, as COVID disappears. And people 
love dining out. They love going out. Yes. It's a Friday in Dubai. I'm told it's about to... It's going to explode. It's about to go crazy. Correct. So you can trial Tashes. You can trial Evely. You can yes. trial your seafood concept on the beach. And you can see Quite what works well. Quite an expensive testing ground, though, sure. because the costs are not cheap of building a restaurant in Dubai. But because I'm here and it's my home base, it is easy for me to test them here. And the main head office team that's spearheading the global expansion is based in Dubai. From a cost point of view, not very cost effective, much more cost effective, of course, to trial stuff out in South Africa. But then, you know, you're not necessarily going to have the right location or the appetite mm. for people to try out these new brands. So certainly all the testing happens here before we take it anywhere else. Which is going to be your flagship global brand? Have you worked that one out yet? That's always Tasha's. Okay. Tasha's will always be it. It's the heart of everything we do. It informs everything. And you'll see that even in the concept stores, Flamingo Rome, Avli, there's a hint of Tasha's in it. There's Tasha's ish. It's got, it's got that, that DNA at the yeah. heart of everything. What is that DNA? What is the thing that links all of these different concepts together? Wow, that's, that's a tough. really, really tough question because we've tried to decipher what this X factor is. But I think it's made up of a combination of things. One is, of course, the interiors. Then, of course, the food and focus on ingredients and making things on order. No mise en place in the restaurants. And then our staff, the people, the people, the people, the people, the people. And I can't stress it enough. And all of those things are equally as important. So Interior food people. A great meal can be destroyed by yeah. a lousy experience. And the, Correct. the experience is created by people. When you move from South Africa mm. and you open up the first out there, yeah. I'm assuming it was Atasha's. Correct. You bring an entire team of people. 50 people. From South Africa. Explain the logic. Who are still with me. So I don't know where I read this. It was in a book that I was reading and it stuck with me. Is One of the biggest threats to, to growth is uh, culture and training. So we thought Tasha's has got a soul. And its soul is African and South African. And we are hardworking, very warm, very hospitable people. So when we decided to open Tasha's in Galleria, which is still here and still one of our busiest stores, eight years later, we thought the only way that we're going to be able to bring that South African spirit and culture over is to bring all of these people and give them an opportunity in an international market. We still do that today, so we don't bring as many because the 50 that came have been moved into other stores and have been promoted. We've got Precious, for example, that came from South Africa. She started as a scullery in South Africa, then moved into the kitchen as a kitchen manager, then into the bar, from the bar to a front of house waitress, and from a waitress to a manager and today she's the general manager the gm of a store and you know she's flourished but we still bring south africans over and zimbabweans if you think about a south african staff member working in south africa and the types of conditions that have got to work under no running water some of them not having electricity to iron your shirts to come to work on time having to wake up at four or five in the morning to get to a seven o'clock shift the danger of coming to work getting stabbed your cell phone stolen these things, it's very, very tough in SA. Um, and then you've got demanding bosses like me who don't want anyone to be five minutes late. You bring your staff to, and people often talk about the level of service in South Africa not having an international standard. But you've got to look at what the people have to endure to actually be able to perform. They're exhausted. They're tired. We brought our staff over to South Africa. We housed them. No more than two people in a room with their own single beds, flat screen TVs, lifts to work, laundry service to iron your clothes. No threat to your life. You don't have to wake up at the crack of dawn to get to work because you're going to get picked up half an hour before your shift. And all of a sudden, their own standard starts to change. These people that were before, maybe you'd look at them and say, ah, oh, they're not going to make the best waiters. 
Now all of a sudden, take out all the obstacles and they can just focus on their job. Just focus on your job. You don't have to worry about all the rest. Become the most unbelievable employees in hospitality ever. But that is such a lesson for us in South Africa. And we, I mean, across all industries, across all trades, where people are traveling for miles and miles, spatial planning in South Africa, apartheid spatial planning, the consequences of that are, I mean, you, are you, so prevalent today. You think about it. You've gotten off a plane now. You've hardly had any sleep. And you have to perform and work a 12-hour shift. Yeah. It makes it tough. You can't be enthusiastic about your work. Your customers would never come back again. I promise you that. I'm going to be so grumpy. Well, there we go. But that's what South African staff do have to endure. Coming up on Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast. Because the food industry has exploded globally and there's all of these different concepts, there is a want and a need for the concepts to come into the Middle East. People get excited. They don't understand that their partner's got no knowledge of either business or F&B. They start to put too many ideas, then the brand gets diluted, and then it fails. Also, what's happened is a lot of very famous people have come here and have not spent enough time here. Big brand names. Huge names. Sweary names. People, Swe- yeah. people who swear a lot in the kitchen. Yeah. What defines genius? A brilliant mind? Unsurpassed ambition? Perhaps Lexus believes it's about something different. Authenticity. This lies in the ability to follow that one thing that drives you, that one true part of who you are. That is the root of genius. And that's the authenticity you experience when you're behind the wheel of a Lexus. It's just one way that Lexus makes luxury personal. Book a test drive at your nearest Lexus dealer and experience amazing. And if you want to see how I experienced amazing with the brand new Lexus RX350 recently... Click on the link in the podcast blurb. Talk to me, though, yeah. about embedding yourself in Dubai. You, you have to have a local partner. How do those partnerships yeah, work? So I've, been very, I've been very blessed and very fortunate because my local partner has been fantastic. He does what he does really well, which is you know help with the financing, help with all the licensing, negotiate with all the landlords. He knows the lay of the land, yeah? And I do what I do best, which is all the creative the staffing, the HR, et cetera, et cetera, and the food and the design. And then never the two shall meet. So he does his thing and I'll do my thing. And it's a great partnership. And we've been in partnership for eight years or actually nine because we signed our agreements before. And we're going on this expansion in the Middle East together. How did you find each other? So we had been approached by a few people. Mm. And we were about to sign a deal with a semi sort of corporate company. And then I sort of got cold feet. And I was on my way to Dubai to kill the deal with this corporate company. And I get a, a message. Hi, my name is Mr. Mubarak Bin Fahad. People are talking about your brand in South Africa. I want to partner with you. So I said, well, listen, first of all, I can't talk to you when I arrive in Dubai because I need to be ethical and kill my deal first with these guys. And then I think you need to come to South Africa. So he, he got on a plane. We took him on a tour of all the stores. And the rest is history. We negotiated back and forth. And now we are in partnership. So I wear two hats. I own the franchise together with my brother Sava. So we franchise ours where we bought famous brands out and that's the holding company. But we also own the restaurants here in the Middle East. We're in partnership with Mubarak in the stores. That partnership decision mm. for anybody who has wanted to globalize an idea will either make or break you, surely. 150%. And if you look at half of the failures in the Middle East is because they've chosen wrong partners. They haven't been clear about roles and responsibilities maybe they don't have enough confidence because you know i came here as a woman to do this deal but i always knew what i was good at so very confident and pushed back when 
the partner did try and get involved in stuff that he wasn't supposed to, it would be very strong. And absolutely, the partnership, if we hadn't chosen the right partner, we wouldn't be where we are today. And also, they've got to believe in you, huh? Is that partnership contracted in blood? It is contracted in blood. And so he dare not. Mubarak dare not come in here and suggest to you that you put white linen and tablecloths on the marble Listen, tops. you know, if he's got a suggestion, of course, he's a partner and he can come and say, which he always says, sweetheart, have you thought about X, Y, and Z? And if I like the idea, great. Well, if I don't, then not happening. So, but certainly he is, Mubarak is very well educated, very well learned, super well traveled. And I think understands the value of what we do. And that's why it's been such a successful partnership. He's actually going to be a partner in London as well. Uh, there are horror stories of partnerships horror. going wrong. Um, and you must see them popping up and imploding all, all over the place. All the time. I think what's, what's happened in Dubai is because the food industry has exploded globally and there's all of these different concepts, there is a want and a need for the concepts to come into the Middle East. People get excited. They don't understand that their partner's got no knowledge of either business or F&B. They start to put too many ideas, then the brand gets diluted, and then it fails. Also, what's happened is a lot of very famous people have come here and have not spent enough time here. Big brand names. Huge names. Sweary names. People, Swe- who, yeah. people who swear a lot in the kitchen. Yeah, and, and they haven't been that successful. But has that been also the, the very basis of success when initially you plan, you're going to flit in and flit out? Yes. To be so I was flitting in and flitting out it was so in the early days. It was working, but the minute you hit store number two and three... You can't flit in and out. You you got to be either have someone who's you know as skilled as you are running the business, or you've got to be based here. You know we've got plans now. I, I realise that I can't hold on to all of these strings as I have been, and we recently appointed a COO who's going to help me you know run the business because I also can't now when we expand to other regions, I can't be everywhere. I'm not going to be able to be in Saudi and Kuwait and Bahrain. Mm-hmm. Not possible. But we would certainly dispatch the right people. You know, we've got a guy called Oliver. He's been with me since the South African days. He runs the concept stores. And if all goes well, then he'll be running all of the Flamingo rooms because we're opening another three. And he'll run that brand. You're becoming corporate. You know what? I learned a lot from famous brands. And Kevin is still my advisor. Is he? He is. And a, and a very good friend and a mentor. And um, someone who I look up to a lot. Darren is also has been unbelievable. And, you know, made... Darren Hill, who's the... He did. And he made the, he made the exit um, out of Famous Brands possible um, and supported me in the, in the decision. But Kevin is, is, is still advising us. And I think you need to have a certain level of corporate governance to run a business like this. It's impossible to do it without structure, unfortunately. You have to. And, and you know what? I hate process and I hate structure. And that's one of the reasons we're bringing on a full-time COO. So that I can go off and do all the things that I love to do and he'll just make sure the business is, is running. But yes, we're a control be. freak. Terribly. And I'd say it with love and... I have the, no idea. <laughs> you cannot walk through a room without adjusting things. Don't worry, I haven't even started adjusting yet. When we finish this interview, you'll see I'll start my adjustments. <laughs> you complained about the bathroom towels because they were 35 centimeters, not 25 Correct. centimeters. You summoned somebody who said, no, 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 they are 25. They brought them almost with a ruler to say, look, these are the ones we've put in the right. bathrooms. Why is that particular attention to the most pedantic of detail so critical? You know, I was thinking about that this morning, actually, funnily enough, in the shower before I came here. And I think a lot of people have these grand schemes. I'm going to exit one day and I'm going to do a trade sale and I'm going to list my company. And while you're busy looking at that goal there, you're forgetting about all the stuff that counts. So, yes, set the goal. Great. One day we'd like to list. One day we'd like to do a trade sale. One day we'd like to do whatever. Here it is. And then you forget about it. Forget about it. Because you ain't going to get there if there's no detail. 
if the teaspoons aren't right and the towels aren't right. And yesterday I was at Flamingo Room and they were showing me five or six different types of napkins and you're touching them to make sure they're correct. You, you have to tweak all of these things because what are you doing every day? That's what you're doing. You're selling product. As you grow and because you are so pernickety mm-hmm. and focused, you, you're wincing, but it's a compliment. Mm-hmm. How do you corporatize and how do you then empower a chief operating officer? How do you empower people to be their own people within the environments that you have created, which you hold very dear to yourself? I'm learning how to do it. It hasn't been easy. I certainly don't run this company alone. I have an FD, Anthony Sklanders, who also came from South Africa. I've got an MD here. We have Sava, who's our MD in South Africa. And they run the day-to-day but I am still involved in all of the detail. What I don't want to be involved in is the reason for bringing the COOs. I don't want to be involved in HR. I don't want to be involved in board packs. I don't want to be involved in... The boring stuff. Budget setting. I'm just not interested. But you're going to have an FD and a COO who are going to start saying no to you at some point. No, you can't have teaspoons that have got... A, a gold a, plating. A gold on plating and a beautiful detail on the hand. Too expensive. They're too expensive. Yeah. Actually, just have ordinary with stainless steel teaspoons yeah. and they do the same job. That's what accountants do. Yes, I agree. And I have learned uh, the value of slightly value, value engineering things. And I think there's always clever ways of compensating for the beautiful stuff and then the stuff that's not so important, value engineering that and cost-cutting it, where there will never be in my brands any value engineering or cost-cutting is in the food. I don't care. We're going to buy the best and they can tell me whatever they like. There will never be central kitchens. Don't like them. I don't want to have pre-produced, mass-produced food. And we will always spend money on our interiors. And if the business model fails to work with those three things, then I must get out. Talk to me about your first Tashes. Oh, in uh, Dubai. In Dubai. Yeah. What happened to costs? So there was a huge experiment and a big Aina. And, <laughs> and thank God my partner is still my partner. But it was a massive experiment. We didn't know. First of all, we didn't trust anything. So Sava and I brought everything from South Africa, including the kitchen sink which now, I mean, you can get anything you want in Dubai. So that was a big lesson, is that we, we brought everything. And even though stuff's cheaper in South Africa, it, it was a costly exercise with flying everything in. It took us a long time to pay that restaurant back because we overstaffed it. So we had like 90 staff. That store now only has 62 staff, just as an example. But I think going into any new market, there's a pilot store, and you just got to hone that thing and hone it and hone it and hone it until you get the, the model right. And... That's with any brand and any concept. This one, this restaurant took about a year for us to get all the little details right, the costs, the staffing, the labor models, the food costs, the menu engineering. It, it takes, it's not, not an exact science, unless, of course, it's a McDonald's or a Nando's, then it's an exact science. But the, as Robbie Brosen calls it, he got to a thousand stores and then he needed adult supervision because I think in 2008, he just went, okay, enough now. Yeah. And then handed it over and went, took a break and now is, yeah. you know, got, got his mojo back. Your mojo is still very much intact. Very much. I am tired. We are going through our biggest growth phase at the moment. We're opening a flamingo room in Saudi on three floors with another concept inside it. We're opening a huge flamingo room in Abu Dhabi. We're opening Nala. We're opening Bangalore 34 on the beach. We've got two Tashas in the pipeline, another Tashas in South Africa. So I am stressed. I'm hoping that our new COO is going to add a lot of value and take away some of the corporate stress from me. But I haven't lost my mojo. Stress and mojo don't, don't. you know, we had our franchisee from Morningside here. The day before yesterday, took him on a tour of all the stores, George. He owns, he owns the Tashas there. And he messaged me last night. He said, thanks for taking me around. He says, your growth and your success don't have to be codependent on your stress. You're going to do this. You've got an amazing team. You'll get through it. 
Listen, and if I think about it, I've always been a stressed person. I was stressed when I opened Tasha's Athol with one store, and now I've got 25, and I'm still stressed. But that's an incremental thing, isn't it? I mean, you have your trade, which is preparing food and creating lovely space. Yeah. That's the trade. And then you simply expand the trade, and I suppose learn through trial and error. Upset people, no doubt, along the way. People have upset you along the way. It's, it's life. Yep. But the point is, you haven't allowed it to get you down. No. And when I do get a little bit down, which is natural, we're all humans, you know, I just get up and say tomorrow's another day. And then there's stuff that excites me. So let's say I land in Dubai and I've got to have a full day of corporate sessions and go through HR and go through the business plan and have an exec meeting and oof, a worse day for me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, how are we going to pull all of this off and what are we going to do? And then I come here yesterday and Jill and the team here cook me 14 dishes that just are amazing and I can hear them giggling and laughing in the kitchen and they're cooking from the heart and there's passion, then that gives me energy for the next day because that's mm. what I love. So how big will the UAE be by the time you've sort of reached maximum scale across Flamingo Room and Tatters? So are we saying Middle East the... or UAE? Because Middle East is Saudi as well. Okay, eh? Middle East. So let's talk Middle East. I reckon we could open 10 to 15 tushes in Saudi, two Flamingo Rooms. We're getting our first Flamingo Room now. Certainly an Avli or two, an Avli in Bahrain. Do another 30 or 40 stores. Okay. And that'll take you to Across a the Middle East? 60. 60. Bars in Dubai. Yeah. It's a weird concept because one has a particular impression of this part of the world. Yeah. Alcohol and tolerances of alcohol and stuff. And I've just walked into possibly the most beautiful Thank bar you. I have ever walked into in my life. You turn down the lights, but the entire place sparkles. The galaxy. It's gorgeous. I'm being a bit vain now. My star sign is in the ceiling. Those big bright lights that were in the ceiling. That's my, I put it in there for good luck. And your star sign is? Cancerian. Okay. Bars in the Middle East, explain to me. Dubai is a modern city. It is a liberal city. Because Friday used to be the day off. It was the holy day. And now, and now Friday is a wizard. It's changed because yeah. Dubai has become a hub for a lot of expats. It's become a commercial hub. Certainly become a, uh, an F&B hub. So it's changing as the world changes. I think there's still a lot of traditions that are sacred. And I'm glad that it stays that way. Ramadan, for example, is, is a holy month and everyone respects those laws. But in terms of bars, some of the best bars in the world are here. It's a liberal place. It's a modern city. Dubai is a modern, modern, modern city. Comparable to London, comparable to New York, comparable to Paris. Felt as I was walking through yeah. here, I felt like I was in the city of London. Exactly. All buildings, I'm just humid. Yeah, I mean, you here in the, in the, you here in the hub of everything yeah. that the IFC, you know, the Dubai International. Financial center. This is where everything happens, and it's got some of the world's top restaurants here. Now, you go from here, and Saudi is a big focus. What is huge the time? Focus. What is the time frame? So we're going to open Saudi, our first huge, massive project in Saudi in a World UNESCO Heritage Site called Diria Gate, Ujari. I'm hoping to open by October, but as you know, there's always delays, so we'll probably end up opening closer to the end of the year. And then we have a standalone Tasha's that's opening middle of next year. And once we have those two, then we'll start scaling. I think what's important is when you're entering a new market, even if you've got five or six locations and it's tempting to sign them all, you have to hold off and you have to say, hang on a second, new market, new customer, new costs, new supply chain issues, new everything. So open the first one, let's get it right. And if it works, great, like it did in Dubai, let's start rolling. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. And your same partner from Dubai goes to Saudi? No, so we have a Saudi Arabian partner. And how have you chosen them and how have they chosen you? <laughs> that took about a year of courtship. Unbelievable guy. His name is Abdulaziz Al-Raji. 
also unbelievably modern, very open-minded, very respectful. He's starting his own food group with a number of other restaurants that he's, that he's doing. And we just had great synergy from the beginning. You know, he, he really understands quality. He's not off the gimmicks, old school restauranteuring, which is the most important thing. Up next, London, the Battersea Power Station, to be precise. That store is being fitted out as the first of 30 tashes currently planned within the M25 Ring Road. There are eight brands in the portfolio in Dubai at the moment. Left your own devices, of course, there would be more. There's Tashes, Avli by Tashes, Flamingo Room by Tashes, Le Parc by, yes, you've got a Tashes, and the Magnificent Galaxy Bar. Nominated as one of the world's 50 best bars attached to Avli by Tashas, the recently opened Bungalow 34, as well as two South African-born brands with whom the group is in joint ventures, the Nougat 1701 and Collective Africa. The UK is having massive staffing issues like the rest of the world is, but more, more so in the UK. And then, of course, all the supply issues because of Brexit. Grace Harding, for example. Yes, with she's Ocean opening Basket. Ocean Basket. That's she, right. She's on her second and looking at more sites, mm-hmm. I suspect, because she keeps posting pictures of herself snooping about. But fish is a problem, for example, Massive. because of the fish she deals with Brexit. So it's it deeply complicated. That's why. We're going to enter cautiously. I'm going to go. I've got about 15, 16 sites lined up. I'm going to go and choose the one I like the most, pitch for it. Hopefully we get it. If we don't, we'll move on to the next one. Open the first one, get it right, and then... Does and, that and require then, you to relocate certainly for the first one i'll have to spend at least six to eight months there just to get it right i mean i always talk about a thing called uh, mirror neurons and if you spend if you and i had to spend the next two to three months together every single day we'd start mimicking each other's behavior i'd start talking a little bit like you start talking a little bit like me and i think it's the same when you're building a restaurant and you're trying to get people to understand what you want so i'll go there i'll help them set up i'll open in the morning be in the kitchen, show them what to do, day after day, repeat, repeat, repeat. They say it takes 21 days. I don't think it's 21. I think it'll be a little bit longer. <laughs> I wish it was 21. 21 weeks. I th- yeah. Um, so certainly I'll, I'll go there for the beginning and then, and then we'd look to dispatch someone to look after and then I'll fly up and down. I'm lucky. I got stuck in South Africa with COVID and then I built La Park because I was bored. So I said, well, I'm going to be stuck here. Let me just do something with La Park. It needs a renovation. Let's turn it on its head. I wasn't in Dubai for eight months. And my MD here, Stefano Michalenzianos, who's also Greek, South African, ran this business without any issues. So you feel comfortable to you then... You stay away uh, for too long. No, but can You've got to come back and, you know, say, hang on, guys, you've forgotten this or you haven't done this. But my team is completely competent and, yeah, they do their thing. And that is the focus of the restaurant business, right back to go full circle, back to people. Uh-huh. And if you don't have the right people, People that you can actually go to bed at night not having a niggle in your mind. Kevin always used to say, get the right people on the bus if you want that thing to drive. You know, the right people on the bus, you're not going anywhere. And it's trial and error, hey? So as we're growing, the corporate head office, marketing, HR, X, Y, and Z, all of the departments are growing. And we've had people come and go who are not the right fit. So it is trial and error, but I'm very, very lucky. Don't forget that I own the restaurants here. Yes. So in South Africa, the franchisees look after their staff. Yeah, all of these staff work for me. But even within the restaurants, forget about the head office, within the restaurants, we've got amazing people. So London then, the UK, has got a growth potential of what, 20? At least 30. That's just London? That's just London. Would you go beyond the M25 ring road? Possibly. My goal is to get the first one right. It's a fundamentally different 
proposition. Tasha's was always, if it's going to be in a mall, it must be facing outwards. Correct. It must always be outside. You must yeah. be able to get a sense of space. Correct. The UK, and I think this is what Ocean Basket yeah. is facing, is three levels in a house built 150 years ago that's got rubbish plumbing. The wiring is in the way. You've got to pivot. And you've, you've got, got to make it fit. Yeah. So got it to pivot, got a different change. offering than yes. what we know. Yeah. What's it look like in your head right now? Smaller. Definitely not these huge format restaurants that we've got. So definitely tinier, smaller menu because of labor. Tables and chairs shrunk. You know, if you're looking at a dinner table, yeah, it's 800 by 800. In the UK, you've got a fine dining restaurant. Tables are 600 by 600 and you are going to squash because space is limited. So I'd say the, the biggest things that are going to change is menu size, size of restaurant and labor. And what are the time frame then on the UK project? Timing on the UK first opening. First opening. And then how long will it take you to get to, to that scale that you're uh, So I would say uh, we'll probably have our first location open by middle to end of next year. First. Yeah. And then because we are experienced now, I'd say six to eight months later, we'll start on the expansion plan. And then maybe four a year. And at what point do you slow down? We thought about that one. Very good question. Listen, my plan is, please God, my new COO turns out to be unbelievable would be for the COO to take over, you know, in the next three to four years as CEO. And I will stay as chairman and creative director and only get pulled in for the interiors and the food. And they can go on this big expansion plan. And I suppose that's the plan. By then you're established. Then I'm something. Um, but by then you are well entrenched in Saudi Arabia and in, and in the UK and the Emirates yeah. and in the UK. Yeah. Have you thought beyond that? Yes. So we'd like to list. Where? Uh, in the UK. Yeah. Listen, Dubai's also got its own stock exchange now. So potentially it could be here. You know, but our holding company is registered in the UK. I, I hate to think about a trade sale because right now that's the furthest thing on my mind. But who knows? Maybe when I'm 51, 52, that's in 10 years' time. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I wish. Ages away. Ages away. You know, maybe if someone came with a big whack of money who was another food group and said, we love what you're doing, we want to buy you out, but will I be able to sell? Uh, it's like, nah. it's like right now the answer's no. It's like giving away your cat. Right now the answer's no. Yeah. But I do have to think about, am I going to be able to work yes. like this forever? But since I've got energy and I think, you know, I've started to really look after my health. Uh, one of our big focuses this year is on becoming more resilient, dealing with stress. And we've got, I don't know if you know Richard Sutton, mm-hmm. fascinating guy. He's been looking after my health for a year. I've lost 27 kilos. I'm training. I'm on a whole whack of vitamins. He's helping me just cope with my, my entire stress. And he's doing a corporate program for us over 12 months for all the leaders in the business to help them deal with stress. So I think if I can learn to manage my stress a bit better, get my health, even lose a lot more weight and just, you know, carry on exercising. Do I want to sell? Not right now. Will I want to sell? Highly unlikely. You have to exit at some point, though. You have, yes. You have to be able to yes. realize some value at some sure. point. And that may be through a listing a decade. Maybe through a listing a decade from now. It may be through a trade sale a, uh, a decade from now. When you think back to that young woman sitting at the till taking dad's cash, did you envisage this? Never. Bruce, I think that's at the heart of everything is that even now, I'm not thinking about the trade sale and the exit. Even now, I'm not thinking about the, you're asking me the questions and I'm saying 30, 40, whatever it is, but I actually don't care about that. All I care about is today I'm sitting in Avli, what's right, what's wrong. Tomorrow I go to Flamingo Room, what's right, what's wrong. Tash is in South Africa, what's happening? We're upping the ante on our cutlery, our crockery, changing our menus. I care about the day-to-day. That's all I care about. And that's what drives me. It's the day-to-day. But something triggered you and motivated you on this journey? What was that trigger? 
Look, when I opened my first hashes and never had plans to, I was going to go back and study. I was going to take my degree further. I was going to study psychology and sociology and I was going to carry on studying, maybe write a book, who knows. And I thought I'd have the cafe as a hobby. And we opened Tasha's in Athol Square 17 years ago in September. 17 years. And when I saw how amazing and successful it was and we were running queues every day for the first two, three, four years actually. And then I thought, okay, we'll open a second one. And then when I did the deal with Famous Brands, then I thought, okay, we're onto something. We can open a few more. And the rest has happened organically, like everything else in our business. As we get more corporate, I don't ever want to lose that spontaneity and the, the organic feel of the growth. You know, not everything's strategized and it's big. So things have to happen also, but naturally. So there's never been a business plan. I mean, everyone who's... Of course, they not during the early days. I didn't even know what a business plan was when I opened Athol. Business plan, never. Not even in the second one. Then when I did my deal with Famous Brands, of course, I had to learn what a business plan was. But no. But have you ever stuck to it? <laughs> I, I mean, it morphs and changes all the time. Exactly. And we review our business plans, you know, every quarter and try and stay on track with them. But things come up. A deal with 1701 comes up. A new location comes up. And you're certainly not going to say, well, this new location is not in the plan. We're not doing it. Talk to me about 1701. Because in La Park, in Hyde yeah. Park, you've got some retail that goes yeah. on there. And I've seen Nuga with yeah, that 1701, 1701 brand on. So you have a, a relationship. We do have a relationship. Uh, we, don't own the, we don't own the brand. Uh, Nick Sher and Antoinetta, a young South African team. Nick started the Nuga company with his mom. I think Antoinetta bought into the company and they've, they've really grown that brand. I'm sitting in COVID thinking, oh my God, I'm about to lose my business. What am I going to do? COVID for me was, well, just absolutely petrifying. But I've never worked harder, fought harder, re-engineered the brand, value engineer. We came up the other end stronger. And I thought, what if everything falls over, what else could we add to this business as we're building it up again? Or what else can, can we do? And I don't know, I had a box of Nougat in the house. And she said, you know, this brand's amazing. It's the best tasting Nougat. Not too sweet. It's the right size. Beautiful. And the packaging's amazing. I had been buying Nougat from Nick from the early days, from Athol. I used to have it in big jars at Tasha's called him up. I said, what are your plans for your brand? He said, we'd like to expand, but we're not sure. So I said, listen, let's do this thing together. So they own the brand. Tasha's group does not own the brand. It's theirs. We have partnered with them to sell their product in a JV in the Middle East and potentially in the UK. Does your mind ever stop? No. I mean, I went to go and see a site for La Park the other day. And then they said, well, we've also got a hundred square meters. We want to do X. And immediately I'm the first person to say, oh, we can and I just saw my MD looking at me. He said, please, there's enough going on. We can't do another brand. How I love concept creation. How important is it to have people who can hold you back? Very, very important. How cross does it make you? No, not really. I used to be um, very stubborn and very short-tempered. But I've learned that you have to listen to people. And initially, if your reaction is no, then I normally go back and say, well, mm-hmm. Maybe I was too fast to react and let me think about it. If I feel very strongly about something and i got a gut feel that we need to go for it, then, then nothing can stop me. Don't care. They can say no as much as they like. <laughs> I'm still the boss. The dynamo that is Natasha Sideris. Her restaurant business is profitable. Few restaurant empires stand the test of time. She's barely started. Let's give a last word to Kevin Hedwick, her early backer. People would say to me, there's no way that you can franchise this model. It's impossible. This model is all about Tasha. I knew, though, if we let her loose and let her do the things that she wanted to do, 
she would be able to. So people, eventually, my response, can you franchise this thing? Was simply yes. All I'm doing is I'm bottling Tasha and I'm selling it because that's the way it worked. The rest is almost history, you know. We got to 15 or 17 stores in, uh, or restaurants in South Africa, every one of them with their own spin on it. She was a genius to the extent that not only was she creative, but me and our guys would take her to a potential site and we'd say, We've been in this game. We think this is a great site for Tasha. She said, no, it's not. And we'd have like a screaming match, you know, but it is, <laughs> but it's not. And she always got it right. I must say she was always right and we were kind of always wrong. She's remarkable but, in her ability to be absolutely clear on what her vision and her goal is. She's also obstreperous in the very best possible way and pushes back against, you know, things that she disagrees with. That must have made her a nightmare to try to funnel into a, a repeatable, replicable concept. Because Steers, it is clear what it is. Debonairs, it's absolutely clear what it is. This is different and creative individual, as you've suggested, than a burger concept or a pizza concept. All those other brands we had were formula-driven. Here's the book. Get on with it. Hers wasn't. I mean, the menu was exceptionally complicated. At times, there were 47, 48 people in the kitchen. So it was it was a machine. Obviously, after we did the transaction, she then went to go and report to somebody else in the, in the famous brand's corporate space. And she was like, my, I adopted her, but she didn't work directly for me. And then I would have these guys that were working alongside the company and say to me, Jesus, Kevin, I don't know where you found this woman, but this woman's high maintenance. So, <laughs> well, what's the problem? No, you know, we think that she should have, um, I'm using example, we don't think this Dr. Pawpaw on the menu makes any sense. So we've had a screaming match about it. And I say, well, stop having these screaming matches because she knows what she's talking about and you don't. So what we should do, famous bands, is do what we're bloody good at and let her do what she's good at. And once that message had sunk into the organization, got on like a house on fire. That's the thing with genius. Those are rare individuals who have it and who are able to express it, and occasionally they need some powerful backup. Backup that occasionally can pull back on the reins of unfettered exuberance rather than stifling it, but just help manage the creative process. It's a tough balancing act, but it's working. Bruce Whitfield's Genius Podcast is proudly brought to you by Lexus. Now available for download on your favorite podcast app. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Another will drop in a week's time. Remember, you can see me experience amazing in the brand new Lexus RX350 by clicking on the link in the blurb of this episode. Go on. You know you want to.